Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Debriefed, where we run down the biggest stories at Dartmouth every other week. I'm your host, Heath Monsma, and the first story we're covering today is the re-recognition of SAE by their national organization, but not the Dartmouth administration. My co-host, Ella Von Baer, sat down with news writer Lauren Azrin, who first broke the story. I'm here with Lauren Azrin, who has written an article about how SAE has just been re-recognized by its national chapter. While it still hasn't been re-recognized by the college, this is quite a significant step for the fraternity, and many campus community members might have seen the letters SAE going back up on what was formerly Scarlet Hall. Lauren, can you tell me more about the background of this change? Yeah, for sure. So in 2016, SAE was de-recognized by both the college and their national chapter. It was following a lot of allegations coming up, but one of the most infamous ones um, was an article in the Rolling Stone about the experiences of a former SAE member named Andrew Laos. The descriptions and details in that article kind of prompted a lot of investigations into the house that ultimately led to their derecognition in 2016 by both the college and their national chapter. These were descriptions of hazing, correct? Yes, Mm -hmm. and other kind of negative commentary about the Greek system as a whole and things like that. But it was the hazing specifically that got them de-recognized? Yes, I believe so. And after the de-recognition, it also prompted a land dispute um, between the town of Hanover and SAE because they still owned the house, but once they were de-recognized by the college, they weren't technically you know, part of the college anymore, and the land that their house is on is zoned for institutional use. So there was a debate that ended in a legal battle that went all the way up to the Supreme Court of New Hampshire and then went back down and is still in the courts of New Hampshire, basically over the argument of if them as a fraternity makes them an institution in and of themselves. In October, I believe, of 2022, they were re-recognized by their national chapter, not by the college. They're still not recognized by the college, but by the national chapter. How did you go about finding this out? Because as far as I can tell, and as far as a lot of Dartmouth campus knew, this was quite a shock. SAE brothers Mm -hmm. weren't particularly forthcoming. So how Mm -hmm. did you get confirmation about all of these changes happening? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. It wasn't something that they were, like, talking about at all. Um, I was assigned the article, and I didn't know how under the radar the re-recognition was. So I just started reaching out to the college, reaching out to brothers, and no brothers, the president, none of them were getting back to me. And so I was like, that's odd. Okay, this might be, like, a bigger story than I originally thought. Um, And even the college, their spokesperson took almost a week to get back to me with the statement of, we're not associated with SAE. So I was like, took you a while there to come up with that. There must be something going on, you know? So I did a lot of digging on SAE Nationals website. They wouldn't answer the phone either or talk to me. Well, they did answer the phone. They told me no comment. Um, So I was like, wow, okay. But I dug a lot into the SAE website, their national website. And in a lot of small places, like the choose a location for a chapter on their little map icon, or like going to their alumni magazine and choosing um, select a chapter. And both of those, I saw that. Dartmouth chapter known as New Hampshire Alpha was listed there and then I was advised to go look back at the internet archives to see if there were those were changed you know if they were ever not there and ever were and then I found that yes on one of those they weren't there pre-fall of 2020 and then were maybe in like January February it's in the article the exact months but I was like okay this is confirmation that there was a change and that National does re-recognize them but 
a lot of editors at the D really wanted me to still like, have a brother confirming this information. And so after lots of digging and like asking around, I finally got a brother to talk to me anonymously and give me all the actual details of the re-recognition. To clarify, when did this happen? When was the official re-recognition? The re-recognition was in October on the night of ShakeOut, actually, coincidentally. Interesting. So right after all the brothers shook out, then they had this whole um, signing and they gave a presentation to SAE's national executives. While I was kind of in the trenches and didn't have exact confirmation, I had actually decided to, on a whim, reach out to Andrew um, Laos, the Rolling Stone article, the one that it's about, and I was like, I did not think he was going to answer me, but I was like, can't hurt. So I DM'd him on Instagram, because it was the only contact information for him I could find. A lot of listeners will be familiar with that article. It's kind of infamous mm-hmm. in yeah. history. Yes, I'd heard a lot about it too. My, like Most people I asked definitely knew of it. Because of its like popularity, I didn't think he would want to answer. But he did, and he was like, yeah, I'd love to speak, Lauren. And I was, like, jumping in my seat. I was like, no way. So I ended up getting on a call with him, and we talked for, like, an hour. And it was really interesting to hear his take. I mean, he hadn't heard about the re-recognition, and so he had some things to say about that. But also just, you know, hearing from him as, like, a normal guy um, who just wrote a story about something that happened to him, kind of went on with his life. And, like, he still talked about but he's, you know, he's, like, moved on. He's just, he's, like, 10 years out of grad, I think, now, and just, like, living his life. So it was, it was cool to talk to him and hear his opinions about Greek life here and everything. Have they changed? He did say that, and he actually said it was like, this is maybe the first time I'll say this in an interview, but he thinks with um, a lot of the stuff that's going on now, like with, he said, woke culture and all like the bigger problems in American society that like, he was like maybe having a fraternity as a space for people to come together isn't necessarily a bad thing. He's like, he was like, so what if people want to pee on each other and get a little too drunk? Like that's their own problem. You know, if it's not harming like the greater good, which in his case, it kind of was, but now that there's been a little bit of more policies reinstated, he he was, like, not as opposed to it, which was very interesting to hear from him, considering, you know, he was the big expose on how bad it was, you know? Yeah. And how did he feel? So he doesn't mind that SAE is re-recognized by the national chapter, or what were Yeah, he thought, he said, you know, I'm not shocked when I told him. He was like, I think... I thought this would happen inevitably. He said if you, he did a lot of research on this back in the day, he called it, um, and that this is kind of just a typical, like, how, how it goes. He referenced a lot of other fraternities at Dartmouth's campus that have had similar, like, way back kind of trajectories where they got to recognize for a while and then were re-recognized. So he figured it was inevitable at some point. And what does this mean for the future of SE? So it's still not recognized by the college, but mm-hmm. did you get any inkling of how this might affect their lawsuit or whether the college might in the future re-recognize them again? Mm. I was told by brothers that they think they have a long way to go with the college, that they're not on particularly great terms with um, the administrators of like Greek life at the school. So I don't know how, how soon that would be because you know the college really does not want to be associated with any kind of bad press or any kind of hazing. So they're going to be very like reluctant to that re-recognition, I think. Great. Thank you so much, Lauren. Yeah, of course. I encourage all of our listeners to read your article if they haven't Thank already. You. And look out for those big SAE letters mm-hmm. right outside the library now. They're back. They're back. <laughs> Next, producer Quinn Hall talked with Mirror writer Catherine Bramante about the impending legalization of marijuana in New Hampshire, making it the last state in New England to do so. The proposed bill passed through the State House of Representatives by a whopping 272 to 109 margin, which is enough to overturn a potential gubernatorial veto. However, it seems that won't be necessary, as only three days ago, Republican Governor Chris Sununu issued the following statement. This is a long-term, sustainable solution for our state. I am supportive of legalizing marijuana in the right way with this legislature, 
rather than risk a poorly thought out framework that inevitably could pass under future governors or legislatures. While a date has not yet been set for the bill to go in front of the state senate, Hall and Bermonti discuss the implications for Dartmouth students. I'm Quinn, and I'm here today with... Catherine Bermonti. Thank you so much for being here today, Catherine. So as it's 420, it seems like no better time to discuss marijuana legalization. So Catherine, you wrote an article about this topic in the D. Uh, you discuss a bill that's currently going through the New Hampshire State Legislature that would legalize marijuana recreationally in New Hampshire. Could you tell our listeners how the legal legalization of weed in New Hampshire will affect Dartmouth students? Dartmouth is federally funded for things like financial aid and grants, so it's kind of like a bubble of federal land in which like it will still be illegal even if it's legal in New Hampshire. For the time being, it won't affect Dartmouth students as much. However, it if it ever does get federally legalized, then Dartmouth will have to react in its regulations. So I'll pose you a bit of a hypothetical. So if... <laughs> For example, I'm 21, which I'm not, but if I wanted to go smoke weed, would I just have to leave campus? And then they w I wouldn't be under the purview of SNS. The way the community standard states it is that a student can't have possession, like can't consume. I'm not sure how they would react if you left campus, had possession and consumed, came back, didn't have possession and consumed. <laughs> Basically, you can't on campus for okay. now. Yeah, and they won't be changing it anytime soon. Yeah, so what would have to happen for Dartmouth's policy to change? In states where it is already legalized, the colleges there have not seen a big increase in students using as much more than they had before. So I think a lot of people have been thinking that they would kind of mirror how they act towards alcohol right now, in which okay. like a student that has a little bit of weed in their room won't get as much trouble, won't get in as much trouble as a student that's like caught driving around. Do you see federal legalization happening in the near, in the near future? I honestly didn't when I started writing this because there's so many states that are very much against like marijuana legalization. However, if you like look back in history, the way marijuana was illegalized was that there's a bunch of states that started legalizing it and then the federal government kind of came together and legalized illegalized it for the nation. So one of the researchers from Geigel School of Medicine that I talked to said that there might be like a flip in that um, where we see as states start to legalize it, then the federal government might come with that. However, marijuana is kind of a touchy subject, so yeah. it won't be for a while. But we did find an article that said it probably will happen. It might just be like not for 10 years. So you interviewed some students when writing this. What's the pulse on campus? So like in your discussions, what opinions have you gauged from the student population? I expected it just to be fully support for federal legalization. And even though I did see that in the sense that people don't think it would be fair for campus to get students in trouble for consumption and possession mm -hmm. and such if it is federally legalized, like one student said, they don't want to be walking to their 9L and smell somebody smoking a joint yeah. on the way. There's kind of a discussion of like how academia should react in the sense that you're kind of used to smelling marijuana as you walk through a city, but you might not want to when you're going to class. Now, I'm curious on your own personal opinions based on like the research you've done. Do you think that federal legalization will be a good thing for Dartmouth students? Well, I honestly thought it would have a much more of an increase for students' usage when like a state was legalized. Yeah. But um, I talked to um, Brian Bowden, who's the lead counselor at the Wellness Center, and he said that, like, as I said before, his colleagues didn't see a big increase. And then if you think about it, 
the students that want to smoke already are smoking. Yeah. Um, there's ways to get it right now, even if that's just a dealer on campus, to going a dispensary. There's a dispensary, like, six miles away. Um, we're right next to a legalized state. It's kind of not that hard for students that want to smoke to smoke right now, so I think it won't be a huge change. Just that it might be a little bit more social, but I don't think it'll be drastic. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you yeah. there. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. For it was sure. great to hear Thank from you for you. having me. Finally, producer Ryan Penny chatted with arts writer Emma Coulter about the trend of films and television that satirize wealth, such as Succession, The White Lotus, and Triangle of Sadness. So Emma, what inspired this piece? Was there a particular show or movie that struck a chord with you? It seems like everyone has been talking about The White Lotus, and now that Succession is premiering, like, that as well and kind of taking a step back and examining other like pieces of film as well as television that have risen in popularity the past three years. So from your perspective what would make a social commentary on wealth like particularly strong? Like what what makes one of these pieces stronger than another? What makes these pieces in particular like strong? It's very clear that like the characters are like kind of very complex if not like morally corrupt people but there's also elements of like humanity in these people they're not just like shallow which i think makes like shows like the white lotus or succession like strong satire yeah and and on that point you compared white lotus and succession specifically in terms of how the wealthy are portrayed whereas like the white lotus is uh, more about like your everyday rich person is how it was described, which I thought was super interesting. Do you have any sense on which style kind of resonates more with you, with audiences? Succession just feels like a whole other plane of like reality, whereas The White Lotus, I think, is kind of grounded in like just someone that I have actually encountered. That's fair. And you touched upon briefly <coughs> the role of like social media and how that like connects to audiences. How would you say that's impacted students at Dartmouth? Like do you hear people talking about this? Yeah, I think social media is kind of like expanding this trend in a number of ways. At Dartmouth I would say that yeah, people talk about shows a lot. You kind of people post like I guess memes about shows that you see like inside jokes about like specifically shows like The White Lotus. People f- post like photos of their vacations and yeah some of these vacations are like insane and it's kind of like that show is probably pretty topical i think it's like unnervingly relatable for some people (laughs) so do you view this as a trend that will last or do you think there's going to be an end where we're kind of going to get over criticizing wealth in all trends like things will peak and things will drop but i think now just in this time, like I don't see this stopping anytime soon, I guess, because as long as this is still like kind of a a mainstream conversation that we're having, I don't see like the trend of like this in media stopping. Would you say that this form of media can lead to any sort of real world change? I think it definitely, at the very least, creates a lot of conversation. In an article I re- or an interview I read from Mike White, the creator of The White Lotus, I just remember he had a quote saying something along the lines of like, he based like some of his like what he put into the white lotus off of like these people that he's surrounded by in hollywood and he had a quote where he was basically like and it's making these people uncomfortable and they feel very called out that could create some sort of more awareness or change that's all the news we had for this week folks consider yourselves debriefed keep an eye out for another one of these this week as well as long form episodes on first year trips and our student band culture There are a few people we want to thank in the making of this podcast. 
Thank you to our colleagues at the Dartmouth, Lauren Asbrin, Catherine Bramante, and Emma Coulter for amazing interviews, as well as our producers, Abby Hughes, Jack Coleman, Eliana Stanford, Claire Betzer, Quinn Hall, Ryan Penny, and last but not least, our executive editor and editor-in-chief of the D, Kristen Chapman. Thank you.